Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Last week, I began by telling you that I was trying to preach a sermon about Jesus doing this miracle for the temple tax. Remember this? I'll tell it to you again. Cute, cute, cute little mystery miracle story. Just Peter's outside. He's talking to some guys from the temple. And they ask, G, they ask Peter, they say, does, uh, does your master pay the temple tax? Jesus, I mean, Peter, quick to defend Jesus. Yeah, of course he does. He says, oh, I'm just, just checking. Peter goes back to the house where Jesus is and he walks in. As soon as he walks in the door, Jesus says to him, hey, Peter, I'm glad you're here. I got a question for you. Who do the kings of the earth collect taxes from? Their sons, their own sons, or other people? Peter says, other people. He goes, oh, so the sons are exempt. Peter says, yeah. But so that we don't offend the people collecting the temple tax, take your fishing pole, go right down there to the Sea of Galilee, cast in, catch a fish. Peter's like, got that part? Then, the first fish that you catch, open up its mouth. Inside is the money that we need to pay the temple tax. (laughs) In my mind, I like to see Peter going, okay. So make a withdrawal from the fish, from the Sea of Galilee. Okay, I'm, I'm on my way. And then he goes, and then... And then the story doesn't end. Like, that's the end. It doesn't say, and then he went down there, and you're not going to believe it. You know? It's just over. The story just, just ends. And I, and I read that, and I was just like, I cannot wait to preach on that. In fact, I'm preaching on it now. So I'm getting ready to do it. And then I start looking at the context, and it backs me up further. And I back up to the story before that, and I'm like, there seems to be more context. So I back up to the one before that. And so last week, what we ended up preaching on was about three stories ahead of this one so that we could get the right context. And it was Caesarea Philippi. Do you remember this? The disciples and Jesus, they go to Caesarea Philippi, 25 miles north of Galilee. And when they get there, this is that place that has so much historical baggage, religious baggage. Everybody who ever wanted to be a god built a temple there. Any demon or any sort of mythological creature you could think of, they built a temple for it in Caesarea Philippi. And it was there that Jesus asked the disciples, who do, who do you say that I am? To which they responded, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. Six days later, another story unfolds. We're going to go through this story because after that, there's another story. And then we'll finally get to my favorite story, the one that I want to talk about, the temple tax story. But we have to cover these other two. Six days later, after they leave Caesarea Philippi, as they're leaving Caesarea Philippi, Jesus says to them, now listen, I'm going to go and die. They're like, we... We just said that you are the king, like you are the coming king, the Messiah, the one who's supposed to be here. We just established that. 
And you haven't even begun your reign yet. You haven't been crowned. You haven't sat on a throne, got a scepter, got a crown, nothing. And now you're going to go die? He says, yes, I'm going, I'm going to go die. And I'm going to come back. Remember, Peter has this conversation with Jesus. He says he pulls him aside. He says, Jesus, come here, come here, come here, come here. You ever, you ever, God ever spoke to you and then you're just like, obviously you don't understand, Lord. Lord, come over here. Let me, let me explain to you how things work, Lord. Peter pulls him aside and said, um, you can't really go and die or else then you're not here. And if you're going to be the king, you've got to be here. So that can't happen. Jesus responds to Peter, like we do to all of our best friends. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God. You're not thinking about this on a spiritual level. You're thinking about it on a selfish level. Yeah. If they come for you, they're coming for me. Yeah, I am. And he just shuts Peter down. No, you're not thinking about this right. Peter is wrestling. Can you get the picture of him wrestling with this idea that how in the world is the, is the one who's coming to save us have to go and die? For us, we live on this side of the cross, right? So we look at the story and we go, we've been talking about this forever. And for people to be saved, there's got to be a cross, there's got to be a death, there's got to be a resurrection. We just understand this. But put yourself there. There's no idea of what this means. I have to go and die and then come back. That seems repetitive and strange that you would leave then come back. You're here now. Why go? Just stay. It doesn't work that way. So Peter's mashing this thing around in his head. He would like to find a way to to route Jesus' plans. I've never been guilty of that. Have you? Jared. I want you to do this and this and this. Okay. Look, Lord. There are some very qualified people who can pull that off. I are not one of those people. Let's choose and maybe, maybe Jesus' picker's broken, you know? So Peter's wrestling with this thing and he can't figure it out. Maybe there's a way we can change this. Maybe if we pray harder, we will change the inevitable. Oh, I hate it when he won't change the inevitable. I don't like where we are. He says, come with me. I want to take you somewhere. Matthew chapter 17. I'll read this to you. Starting in verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain. There he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, 
I will build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and the voice, and, uh, and the voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. In all of God's wonderful and mighty power, He takes into consideration the simple fact that these poor disciples are having a very difficult time getting a hold of the concept that Jesus is really the one. They confessed it at Caesarea Philippi. But until you experience Jesus face to face, there's some things that are just missing. And Jesus pulls them aside. You know what's crazy to me is when you read something like this in a church setting, how many of you noticed that not all the disciples got to go? That is an ecclesiastical faux pas. You cannot do it. Jesus is not all-inclusive all the time. Sometimes, check this out, you don't get invited. I mean, not by Jesus. Jesus invites you. But in this situation, Jesus isn't interested in taking the 12. I'm taking the three. You can barely pull that off in church now. It's kind of like grade school slumber parties. If you don't get the invite, oh, oh, oh. wow. That's awesome when that happens. Because then there's these little tears and you don't know what to do with them. It's like, oh, I didn't get invited. Yeah, that, that happens. Jesus is all-inclusive. I mean, there's a few things we need to know about him. He loves everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's something else we need to know. Jesus didn't trust everybody. Do you? Well, yeah, but I'm different. Jesus should trust everybody. Oh, should he? I mean, wasn't there a betrayal at some point in the story? I'm trying to... Yeah, he did trust some people. But do you trust everybody? I think he's the same one that said, do not throw your pearls before swine. At the same time, when Lazarus died... Jesus wept. There's other stories where somebody else dies. Jesus tells the people who are crying, stop crying. Oh, sorry, not the baby. <laughs> the, you can keep crying. I was, it's a part of the, just go back and listen to it later. You'll get you on to the, you can cry all you want. You can have a slumber party, I suppose you could go to. You could. He tells other people, do not cry. Don't cry. Stop crying. Yet when Lazarus dies, he cries. You do have a scale just the same, don't you? There are certain people in your life who they can actually hurt you with their words. There are other people who you could not care at all what they say. I think there's another thing to remember, and that's this. That we all have specific needs in our life. There are certain people who speak to us and minister to us better than other people. There are certain situations to where when you find yourself hung up, you call this kind of person. 
And then there's other situations you don't call that person, you call this person. You know what nobody ever calls me and asks me to do? Jared, I'm broke down on the side of the road. What do you think's wrong with my car? <laughs> no one ever calls me for that, ever. Do you know why? Because I've called all them, that's why. Hey, I'm broke down on the side of the road. No big surprise, is there gas? Hadn't thought of that. <laughs> not at the, it's not where I live, you know? They call for other reasons. Jesus is no different. Here's another one for you. Well, that doesn't really seem fair that, that Jesus would invite some and not invite the others. How do you know he didn't invite the others? Maybe he did invite the others. And maybe they said no. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but within the kingdom, within the body of Christ, there are some believers who thirst after every single word that Jesus says. They'll chase him up every single mountain. It doesn't matter where he goes. They are on their way, on his heels, in the dust of their rabbi, carefully examining every single thing he says. And there's others who don't go. Whatever the case is, it's just these three. But I think there's something else too. If you want to experience the transfigured Jesus and the reality of who he really is, you have to first walk through Caesarea Philippi. You have to stand in the shadow of all of your gods and all the things that you worship and confess him greater than them. And until we do that, how do we ever expect to see the transfigured Christ? If we don't take our idols and set them aside, if we don't stand on top of them and say, I confess you to be the greater one of all the things in my life. I confess you to be the only God of my world. If you can do that at Caesarea Philippi in the ruins and the rubble of all the other false gods, that's the only time you ever get a chance or will ever get a chance to see the transfigured Christ. There he was, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. Clothes became white as light. The book of Luke tells the story, and it says that his clothes became as lightning. But it's interesting because the word is lightning as if lightning flashed and didn't, it didn't flash off. It just flashed and stayed flashed. Do you know that thing when you're outside and it's dark and the lightning just wham, and everything is bright, and you see it, and then it just goes away? This was the on, no off. And it also says that he was transfigured, but Luke uses the word metamorpheo. Matthew doesn't use that word. It's a similar word. But Luke uses metamorpheo, that he just changed as his being, his person, his skin, all the way down through his, the fibers of his clothes. He changed. Metamorpheo is where we get our English word, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. That's where we get that. <laughs> I think. I don't know. I'm not, not really a Greek scholar, but I think that's... I think that's close. He's transfigured in front of them. Peter responds like I would respond, like you would respond, like we all respond. Oh, it is so good for us to be here. This is good. What he's saying is this. This is beautiful that we are here. If you have those moments to where you're just like, this is beautiful, get them occasionally in the evenings when it's cool. 
right about this time of year when it, it starts to cool off a little bit in the evening. The sun goes down. Kate and I will sit on the porch swing. My kids are gone. I don't know where they are. I don't know. But they're gone. It's just me and her. We sit on the... This is beautiful. Love this. Peter says, this is beautiful. Those moments you want to hold on to as long as you can. I love this moment. This is so good. We all have those moments, those memories. Well, we make these memories, but the problem with memories is they're bound in this time-space continuum, and now they're behind us. You can never have them again. Peter's like, I love this. Here we are, right here. You've changed, and you're in front of us. And if that didn't make matters even more awesome, Moses and Elijah show up. These are the patriarchs of the faith. If Mother Teresa and Billy Graham came from the grave and walked in here, you would have some questions, wouldn't you? They march in, they stand here among us, beside me, and all of a sudden you're like, it's a really good Billy Graham mask. No, it's a real Billy Graham. What? These are the patriarchs of their faith. Stand in there. Luke, in his story, he records that they were having a discussion about Jesus's, and here's the word, you're going to love it, exodon. That should trigger something inside your brain. Jesus's exodon. He and Moses and Elijah are talking about his exodon. Moses also had an exodon. Do you remember it? When the Israelites were trapped in Egypt for 400 years. And then God sent Moses to go and pull them out. And it was a mass exodus out of Egypt. And so now they're talking to Jesus about his exodon. What does that mean? His exit, maybe? Okay, maybe. But that wasn't just Moses' exodus. Moses' exodus was this. There are people in bondage and they are hung up. They're in slavery. And they've even gotten comfortable with the idea of slavery. They've even reproduced inside of their slavery. And they've grown. They've even populated. But they're still trapped. And they don't have the thing that makes them a nation, their own land. They're stuck. That very closely resembles sin. <clears throat> How sometimes what happens inside of families is moms and dads fall apart. They walk away from the church or they have some bad experience and they just kind of quit Jesus and they walk away. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then they begin to just reproduce the same cycle of sin in their life. And so do the kids. And they get older and they do the same thing. And they stand over on this side and they just kind of yell and scream. It's like the guy I met one day and I said to him, I said, so what's your last name? And, and he was really hesitant in sharing his last name. He didn't mind telling me his first name. He said, yeah, my name is so-and-so. I said, what's your last name? I said, what? Uh, it's, and he tells me his last name. I said, oh. And he's kind of waited like, you don't know any of them? I said, no. Cool. I'll see you at church on Sunday. 
Off he went. Standing over there. He doesn't want to be a part of that anymore. He's looking for somebody to come and take him out. And they are talking about Jesus' exodon, that he's going to somehow go to an evil place where people are bound up. He's going to take them out of their sin, and he's going to march them into a place of peace with him. Very much resembles the story of Moses. And they're standing there. Peter is losing his mind. Lord, it's so good we are here. You are beautiful. Your clothes are beautiful. This is so nice. I got an idea. I'll build three shelters. One for you, one for you, and one for you. Because then we can stay. Then we can stay right here in this moment. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't it be good if we could just stay right here in this moment? Because you'll follow him. Jesus kind of gets a little taxing sometimes. You aware of that? It's a little taxing sometimes. Because he goes places a lot. He rarely wants to stay in one place for very long. He's always inviting you to some new thing, which I don't always like. I kind of sometimes like the old thing. You know, like my memories. I want them to be like they were back then like when I had them, but they're gone and I can't experience them again. And Jesus is all about, want to make some new memories? No, I like the old ones. I want to stay in the, if I could choose, maybe some comfortable ones, you know? I mean, we've got some uncomfortable memories, Jesus, me and you, but I would like to stay inside the comfortable ones if that's all right. Nah, I'm going to take you somewhere new. Instantly, as soon as Peter says this, something happens. All of heaven comes to a screeching halt. God hears Peter say this, and he's like, I'm going to have to put an end to that now. No, that's not, that's not going to work. This cloud just comes falling down from the sky, envelops everybody on the mountain, the trees, I mean everything. And then from it, there's this voice. This is my son. That sounds more like Darth Vader, but you get the point. <laughs> Whom I love, and I am well pleased. And then the end part. Listen to him. The cross was not plan B. That was plan A. The cross was plan A. And Peter is like, maybe there's a plan B. And, and God is like, the cross is plan A. Because if the cross isn't plan A, this isn't going to go well. The cross has to be plan A. You want to know why? Because my major problem in the world has very little to do with my comfort. It has a whole lot more to do with the filthiness of my soul. Peter's trying to dodge the pain. And in dodging the pain, sometimes you miss out on the point. Sometimes when you dodge the pain, you miss the spiritual principle. Pain is the thing that we need sometimes. And God hears Peter say, let's freeze time and stay right here, all of us. Feel how good this feels? Let's stay right here. And God says, no, 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 no. Hey, no. Listen to my son. When he says, I, I have to go and die, that is the plan. 
This is not happening outside the will of God. This is the will of God. And these guys are just like, can't get my head around that. Have you had those moments with the Lord? To where he's like, this is what I want you to do. And like, mm, don't think you're understanding exactly what's going on here, Jesus. You don't think you're getting it. My life is in turmoil and it's upside down and things around me that have always been right are now falling apart. How can this be the will? Because I need that so I can change you. Don't change me, change that. Don't change me, change her. Don't change me, change them. No. You know why? You know why I think only three get invited to the top? Because there's certain things that inspire some and other things that inspire others. I could tell you the last three or four times that the Lord has done something in my life and spoke to me, and I could stand up here and I could just weep my eyes out and tell you these personal stories, and you would think to yourself, I don't think he's stable. <laughs> so you were in your office with a 70-year-old commentary, and you read a line, and it brought you to your knees in tears? Yes. You need to get your meds checked. It wouldn't inspire you, but it inspires me. And if you told me yours, I would be like, didn't really move me. But it's your deal. It's not mine. The ones that move me, move me. And the ones that move you, move you. And these three here, they're on this mountain and they get invited to this place. And it must have impacted their life because you see them all the way through Scripture. Not everybody gets everything that everybody it's not just equal outcome for everyone do you want to spend your time doing the things that bring that about no no maybe not heaven echoes this voice listen to him and it says that they all fall down on their face terrified phobia is the word like like they can develop a diagnosis after such a situation. You know what I mean? Like they heard this voice and this cloud. It shook them to the point to where they're standing there admiring Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And then the voice thunders, and now they're all on their face. How mighty is our God that when he speaks the most gentle and loving sentence, this is my son whom I love, and I am well pleased. Listen to him. And brave men... Brave men, seasoned sailors, men who have been criticized by the religious elite, threatened on some level, are on their face, terrified, shaking. What kind of God is that? This is just him being gentle. He's not pouring out wrath. He's just saying, this is my son. And it just collapses them. Jesus and all of his tenderness shows up. The cloud dissipates. Elijah and Moses go on about their business. Jesus goes and he puts his hand on them. These men are covered up. They have their faces covered up in the dirt. And Jesus comes up and he puts his hand on them. Hey, hey little guys. Hey, little buddies. Fellas, <laughs> this is embarrassing. Fellas. <laughs> 
get up. Don't, don't be afraid. And he looks up. And Matthew writes, and they only saw Jesus. Yeah, but here's the thing. Have you ever seen somebody do something? I, I won't tell you the situation, but I saw my friend Luke one time become not the man that is, you typically see. You know, the very kind, um, funny, good conversationalist that Luke is. I saw him one time become not that person, and he became a completely different person, and he was a very scary person, very scary person. And we were at a ball field, and I saw this reaction... <laughs> And I saw this reaction, and I cannot tell you, I've said this over and over, if I ever got trapped somewhere, and I had to have a couple of guys who would be with me to fight, Luke is on my list of three. Now, that may surprise some of you, because I have some very, very rough, rough friends who are good at, good at fighting, and Luke, wouldn't, Luke might not top your pick. Tops mine. Convinced of it. Because I saw a thing in him that I can't see him like I used to see him anymore. No more. I saw him almost explode another man. I don't even know that you can do that. He almost just exploded this other man. It's one of the most powerful things I ever saw. And it was in defense of somebody else. It was beautiful. And my heart just poured out to him like, that's my new hero. That freaking guy, you know? If I had to be trapped, if I were trapped somewhere, okay, you only get three guys to fight. Who's on your list? I know Luke. I'm going to have to rock, paper, scissors for the other ones. This, taking him. I can't see him like I used to see him because when I saw that thing happen, he's not who you think he is. Oh, he is that. But there's something else to him that you haven't got to see yet. I hope you don't. Unless you're fighting me. <laughs> then you can. Happily. And they look up, and all they see is Jesus. All they see is Jesus. Oh, do you ever look at your rabbi again the same way, once you've seen him in his true identity? Do you ever look at Jesus the same way, once you've seen him as he is in heaven? <laughs> no. Not at all. You've seen him transfigured in all the glory of God. You heard the voice of heaven, the same one that Abraham heard. You heard these same voices, the same patriarchs standing there in some sort of honor, some, like, like their colleagues. And then they open up their eyes and all they see is Jesus, normal Jesus, Clark Kent Jesus. And there's always this thing as they're walking with him where they're looking at him like, I wonder if he's going to do that glowy thing again. Like, Jesus, those people aren't listening. Like, do that glowy thing again. You're freaking going to hate this. I promise you that. Do it. Do it. You know? Like, do that. You can never see him like that again. Like, it's, he's different. And then he turns to him and he says, I have to go and die. More of that. Do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Can you see these disciples trying their hardest to get on board with what Jesus is trying to do? And they can't understand it. Because he lights up like a, I don't even know, like an angel 
in front of us he summons the spirits and obviously the bodies of Moses and Elijah the voice of heaven God himself thunders down and says this is my son and then he says I've got to go and die you've got all the forces of life itself behind you you're still going to choose to go and die yes because salvation and the cross and death and resurrection is plan A they didn't capture Jesus he laid it all down he could have flexed his finger and it blew a radius around him some sort of power around him to level everybody there and he didn't he didn't have to pick up that cross but it probably wasn't the first time he touched it since he's also the creator he didn't have to that was plan A and then this thing then this the, the story takes a turn part two short the story just the natural flow of the story takes this turn that is so familiar to all of us have you ever been on the mountain with Jesus have you ever been on the mountain with Jesus everything is so good on the mountain with Jesus because you know who's not on the mountain with Jesus all the people who don't deserve to be there just me and Jesus all the other people they can just stay down there and we'll be spiritual up on top of the mountain with Jesus and then they turn and they start marching and they leave look where it goes Matthew chapter 17 when they came to the crowd verse 14 when they came to the crowd a man approached Jesus and knelt before him Lord have mercy on me and my son he said he has seizures and suffers greatly he often falls into fire or into water I brought him to your disciples but they could not heal him oh unbelieving and perverse generation generation Jesus replied how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and, the, and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. You ever been on the mountain with Jesus and then he led you from there straight into the valley of the demon possessed? Some of you call it home. You know? Like things are so good. Like I had such a wonderful day with all my friends and my family and it was so good. And then you go to work and everything fell apart. Nothing works. Everything's broke. It rained and screwed everything up. You can't do anything that you were going to do. You're like, what is good? Yesterday was perfect. Within seconds, everything is now crap and I hate it. Sometimes you're on the mountain. And then sometimes Jesus leads you straight into the valley of the demon possessed. Stop nudging each other. So you're like, that's you. You are. This is, this is the truth. Because we go from one thing just being great, and then all of a sudden, like, stuff just falls apart. Talked to a friend of mine the other day on the phone. This is what he said to me. I said, how's things going? He said, good. He's a buddy of mine. He's a, he's a preacher. I said, things good with you and the wife? He says, yeah, we're... Uh, we're on about a three-week run. Things have been pretty good for about three weeks. I thought it was so honest of him to say that. We're on about a good three-week three run. <laughs> Some of you are like, three weeks would be nice. <laughs> three weeks would sure be nice. I thought that was so honest. Because you know what? It changes overnight. 
One day everything's fine and the jokes that you said yesterday are funny. You say them today, not funny. You know? What you did yesterday was okay. Not okay today, you know? Sometimes we go from there all the way down. It's interesting. The guy just rats the disciples out right on, just right off, right off, right off, the, right off the bat. Hey, Jesus, uh, uh, no, I'm not a new customer. In fact, I've spoken with your disciples before. I asked them to try to heal my son uh, once before and uh, couldn't pull it off. I'd like to speak to the manager, please. Jesus' response is, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. How long do I need to be here with you? Just, you hear the, you hear that thing inside of Jesus, the human part of him, it's just like, how is this going to work? Like, how is this going to work? Like, we're going to entrust the, the future, the church, to them? How's this going to work? How long am I going to have to be here teaching them how to do this? Bring the boy to me. The word is, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, perverted. It's this, um, in the Greek, it means you are now something you were not supposed to be. You know, like enslaved. Enslaved like we were in Egypt. Or enslaved like we are in our sin. To where you look out sometimes, you have no idea that there's even anything wrong with your life. Well, I really don't have anything that just really bogs me down. I think I'm doing pretty, pretty good. I don't have any idea. Everyone around you is like, you got issues, you know. And you're like, I think I'm doing pretty good. You know, no clue, no clue that you're struggling, no clue that, that you haven't connected, no clue that you've never been to the Mount of Transfiguration, that you've never seen Jesus as he really is, no clue. There's something missing. You look around and you see people who, they're just sold completely out and all you can think to yourself is, that just must be their personality type. It just must be their personality type that they act that way. Because I've known Jesus and I've gone to church and I don't do that. It must just be weird. Or Pentecostal. I don't know which. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I don't know. He marches us from mountaintop experience all the way down into the valley of the demon possessed. And I look at Jesus in those moments and I say, can we go back to where we were and I'll build a shelter and we can just stay right there? How about that? Snap. But I like the old memories. Something that occurred to me this morning as I was reading through this. Sometimes what we do, like Peter, is we build a shrine to our experiences with the Lord and then we hold on to those. And those are the very things that keep us from moving forward and growing. Does that make sense? This idea that, you know what, I used to go to church camp and God used to speak to my heart and things have been so good. It was 20 years ago. But I remember it so clear. Yeah, I mean, I was baptized and, and that was wonderful and my family was there and it was, it was such a great thing, but I haven't been in church in 10 years. You know, and... But I remember that day, and that's what people need. They just need to remember that day. And we build these shrines to our experiences. And what's bad is this. When you build a shrine to the experience that you have with God, you lose God. 
The idea of not being able to follow the Lord or backsliding has nothing to do with you leaving, has everything to do with you staying as he walks on. See, because he's calling us to follow him. That's an action word. I flunked grammar the first time I took it. I didn't do awesome in English when I was there. My dad's an English teacher. Which was... But I know this. Follow doesn't mean stay. It means follow. And when Jesus says follow me, that's because he's on the way. Again. And if you built, an if you built a shrine to your experience, he went on. Is he waiting for you? He won't wait. He just keeps going. Jesus on his horse again. Off he goes. See, for us, it has to be this. We anchor our faith in him, not in the experience. We anchor our faith in the person of Jesus and on his words, not in the experience. Jesus, I want to feel better. That's a prayer that I've prayed before, and I always get ashamed of myself when I say, Lord, I want to feel better. I mean, there's, there's some validity to that. Like, it's important, I think, on some level. But it never, ever, ever comes before, Jesus, I want to do better. Jesus, I want to not do better, but feel better. And Jesus is like, I can't do that. It'd be similar to if your kids came in. I would like allowance and not clean my room. <laughs> I don't think you understand what I'm saying. I want you to give me money and me do nothing. And Jesus looks at us like, sorry, I can't do that. Do you know that he desires to have a personal relationship with you? He desires it. He desires to have a relationship with you to where he can reveal other parts of who he is to you and let you see them, your own Mount Transfiguration. Do you know that he desires that, that he enjoys that process of taking the curtain and pulling it back just a little bit and giving you just a peek of who he really is? He enjoys that process. Don't you enjoy that process? Don't you enjoy those moments when you can show something to your children? That's one of the greatest things about being a parent in my, in my, in my book, the discovery thing. Showing my kids something that they've never, ever seen before in their life. When they were tiny, I would catch these little animals and I'd be like, do you want to see something crazy? Yes. Look at this. And it would be a bird. And they'd be like, it's a, it's a bird. I'm like, yes. Like, you want to pet it? Yes. I want to hold it. I want to touch it. Can I put it in my mouth? Can I? Like, it's so cool. That discovery thing. They, we want to show our kids these things. Isn't this the number one reason that the spouses we fight? You don't understand me. I don't understand her. This is the number one reason. He just doesn't get it. I just don't get it. We wish the other person could understand that next level. Understand me on this level. Understand what I'm saying. Understand how I'm feeling. This is why we argue and fight. We all desire this new depth of discovery and revelation with each other. Jesus does too. We came by it honestly. He gave it to us. I want to show you more of who I am. Do you know that that's true about him? Do you know that that's what he wants with you? Do you know that to him, it's more of an insult, it's more of a hurt 
than it is an offense. Why? Why don't you want to know me? Like, I can't, I don't understand it. Like, there's so much more here to me than whatever it is that's got your attention. Don't you want to know me? If you don't know him, I would love to sit down and talk with you, visit with you. I also want to read you something. Galatians chapter 5. I have Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. <clears throat> we'll close with this. How in the world do we stay connected to Jesus? The, or, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Another version says, stay in step with the spirit. If there's anything that I would pray for you this morning, it would be this. Don't stop following Jesus even as you already know him. Don't stop following him. He's taking you somewhere. He's leading you somewhere else. He's taking you to a new level in your relationship. He's taking you to a new place in your relationship. And that's what he desires of you. Stay in step with the Spirit.